0: everyone. Welcome to a June 23rd edition, our second episode of State of the Nation. We are glad you are with us. So here's what we do in these episodes. We talk about what's going on in crypto and we relate that stuff to the big picture to help you understand the state of the bankless nation. So we release these episodes right here on YouTube every Tuesday. Make sure you subscribe, then we also release them on the Bankless podcast on Wednesdays. And here's the question I always start out with. I'm going to relay this one to David. David,
1: what is the state of the Bankless Nation today, sir? The state of the Bankless Nation is churning. We are churning (laughs) at the moment. Uh, Last week, the state of the nation was bullish. I said that uh, DeFi tokens had really gone up a lot in price, and that was... uh, illustrative of a catalyst of all of ethereum and then ether started pumping a little pump from 229 to 243 where we are today so i feel pretty validated about this one so you totally called it
0: you you just nailed it like because because um i mean comp tokens Mm -hmm. did like after you after you said that after we gave the state of the nation they did like a a a three to, to five x after that after you mm-hmm. said it was bullish. Do you think State of the Nation had any effect
1: on the comp pump, David Hoffman? Oh, one-to-one, one-to-one. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have happened otherwise. <laughs> yeah, that was my thought too. Okay, so churning. <laughs> like,
0: so why are we churning?
1: Okay, so yeah. So, uh, so we had that bullish week. Prices have gone up. People are all talking about yield, uh, yield farming, liquidity farming. Like BAT is being borrowed and then relent. Uh, Tether is just flooding into compound all of a sudden like all of defi all the theorem is like tether's cool now like it's we're okay with it all right, it's got <laughs> it's got it's real like it's here to stay so like yeah. we are our, our mental models are now integrating tether our mental We've models are now, Yeah yeah it's it's yeah it's it's a real thing um <laughs> Uh, And so like, and so there's a lot of both, both churn with like uh, asset prices, but also churn with mental models, like the comp governance token and the SAFG, the simple agreement for future governance is like this brand new paradigm that we're all trying to integrate into our brains. There's a lot of change going on, Uh, changes in the air. So things are churning. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess one question for you. So I, last week I wrote an
0: article, um, on, and I published it Monday and I said, um, stocks are drunk, but mm-hmm. DeFi is sober. Right. And then we had that crazy week last week where it looks like
1: it, like DeFi might be drunk too. Is it drunk? Is this like going to cause problems for us later? Well, I mean, if we're comparing uh, what 2017 was to being drunk and what we are uh, today, DeFi is just a little buzzed. It, it's been, it's <laughs> okay. been sober for a very long time, and it's just right. really sensitive right now because it hasn't had a drink in years. Okay, uh, so, so it had it had a small drink, and now it's a little buzzed. Okay, so it's
0: all its alcohol tolerance is low yeah. for, due to abstinence, and mm-hmm. it's just a little buzzed right now. But feels good though. Feels good. We, it feels it feels good. Good. we yeah, like the buzz. It, We had a good week, it was a good Mm -hmm. week. Now, I think the big question on everyone's mind is what's going on with ETH, like ETH Mm -hmm. the asset, right? Mm -hmm. So we see DeFi tokens pump like crazy. I mean, you comped maybe an 8X last week. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's down a little bit from that. Aave too um, is up in the hundreds of of percentage points, Uh, synthetics as well from last week, but ETH is not following. So ETH has been pretty flat Honestly, mm-hmm. it's been it's been hovering around this uh, price point of like two thirty ish. Just recently had a small bump, but we're talking mere percentage points. Um, that was different. Like in twenty seventeen in the ICO wave, that was a killer use case, a killer app for Ethereum. It was decentralized funding of the protocol, and the price of ETH just went insane. Um, sh- like, is that not going to happen in in this case? Is ETH just going to kind of languish and
1: uh, fall by the wayside while DeFi moons? Right. So like all these DeFi tokens, like Comp, like Aave, uh, and now even MKR, like the profits, uh, the cash flows generated by these systems are becoming less and less ETH denominated, right? So like uh, there's cash flows coming from Tether, which is definitely not ETH denominated. There's cash flows from DAI, which is only limited. Eth denominated, and we're we're seeing the backing of Dai become less and less ETH over time. So, like the bears are saying, like ETH is losing its like supremacy over over DeFi tokens, and the the value of COMP, the value of Aave, uh, is and is coming from other cash flows, not just ETH denominated. And so, like that, that is something to integrate into our brains. Like the ETH uh, isn't the one true uh, asset of Ethereum, right? Like there are other assets that the valuations of these DeFi tokens. Uh, gain their value from we have to remember that like ever since basically now very recently like all of MakerDAO was eth all of compound collateral was eth and it was just because there weren't other assets on ethereum right it was just a matter of just like what other assets are there on ethereum other than eth uh, which was basically none uh, but at the same time, we've seen ETH in Compound absolutely skyrocket. We've seen ETH in DeFi just DeFi just suck up ETH, and so it's also sucking up other assets too. But also, ETH primarily is being sucked up by DeFi, and so like there's going to be this constant tug of war for a while between the bulls and bears, saying like DeFi doesn't need ETH. And then the, the bulls are saying well yeah but like it's still using it like it doesn't right. need it but it's yeah. still using it like and, and so um uh i think that the, and it's all another thing to to point out is like DeFi isn't correlated to bitcoin btc but right. ether is and so ether's got this tug of war between like being correlated to bitcoin and being correlated to DeFi. DeFi has mooned bitcoin has not and so ether is like stuck in the middle Yeah,
0: you know, I should pull this up for um, pull up this graph from DeFi Pulse for everyone who's watching. Um, This is total value locked of uh, denominated in USD in DeFi, and you can see the total value locked has absolutely skyrocketed, given sort of the uh, um, the DeFi tokens adding rocket fuel to that. One billion Um, to
1: one point five billion in what looks like two weeks.
0: That's insane. And if you go, by the way, let me just show comp really quick. Um, If you go to comp specifically, this is the compound protocol that just launched the comp token that we talked about on the last day of the nation. Look at this
1: chart. Wow. Right? Wow. So
0: yeah, a hundred million
1: or so locked, right? And all all assets, all assets, a hundred million, right? all assets mm-hmm.
0: um, pretty flat to be honest and then then they issue comp tokens and they juice the returns basically mm-hmm. um, and we're up to 600 million now 600 million that's a 6x leap right in terms of the capital inside of this protocol and we talked to Dan Elitzer about this uh, in our episode that we released yesterday this is not free money that's being generated some people are, are t- saying like comp printer go burr right <laughs> Uh, As if this is just um, money coming out of thin air, it's not really. You're pulling it from future expectations of the compound protocol, right? And you're bringing those expectations into the present and in the future. uh, Investors apparently, if they're rational anyway, they're expecting uh, like comp to generate a return as a capital asset, and that's why they're valuing it the way they are. It's it's juicing returns. But here's back to back to ETH. If we look at um, if we look at ETH locked in Compound. This is just ETH-denominated
1: uh, locked in compound. Look at that! <laughs> Look at that pump. <sighs> that is right? too good. Yeah. So so compound now has is just under a million. It, it was a million ETH yesterday, which makes us having two applications on Ethereum that have what has one million ETH locked in it. And there's only, there's like a what 110 115 million ETH out there in t- in total. Yeah. And so yeah. like how many more of these do we need before like a a, a a meaningful amount of ETH is locked up that you can't argue with.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, it goes to what you're saying is uh, I don't think the bears, like the bears are right that there are now other money assets on Ethereum that are competing with ETH. Um, But what they don't understand is that the success of DeFi, like what's good for DeFi is also good for ETH. And you're you're seeing it right in the charts because that's increasing the total amount of ETH locked up. Um, But like, here's the question why hasn't this borne out? Why hasn't this flown into ETH price yet? Right. So the bears would say, um, you know, that's cause you're wrong guys. <laughs> that's cause <laughs> these two things are not related. Um, I think the bulls would say, just be patient. It's mm-hmm. been seven days, yeah. right? Like these are market cycles. We've come off of a, a two year, um, Ethereum winter, where Mm -hmm. ETH lost 95% of its value. This is what Amazon lost in Mm -hmm. 2001 when the dot-com bubble burst, right? 95% of its value in this winter. And investors are skittish. People are afraid. People still are using, like, they're looking backwards at a world where it was just Bitcoin maximalism, and that was the only money. And they're not looking at ETH as a monetary asset, um, is that the reason why we're just in a cycle, David? What do you think?
1: Yeah. So, so markets have memory inside of them. Right. And so like, and the DeFi market has much less of a memory than the ETH market does. And the ETH market has like fear and skepticalness baked into it because we went from 1400 down to 80 and now we're at two whatever. Yep. And, and, and at the same time. Uh, we, we have gone up a little bit eth did run up a little bit 229 to 243 still not much could have been noise could have been uncorrelated however, it did lead first Bitcoin It started moving first sooner than Bitcoin did and it was going up and then Bitcoin dumped and it pulled down eth with, with it so like eth moved first and it brought B- and then Bitcoin also moved upwards after eth started moving upwards and then Bitcoin dumped a little bit and it killed the momentum of eth. And so, like, I really think that, you know, <laughs> DeFi is pumping and is trying to bring ETH with it, but Bitcoin is holding Ether back because Ether and Bitcoin are so strongly correlated.
0: It seems that way. You know, the other thing I'm seeing is a, um, a narrative shift. Can you see my screen right here, David? Yeah. Uh huh. All right. So this was uh, an excerpt. I'm not going to share the full, full email. An, expert, an excerpt of an email I received yesterday from a, a fund manager, uh, a guy I know runs a you know, decently small to mid-sized crypto hedge fund. Uh, he's got some other content in this, but the, the money line was this: my fund was sixty percent Bitcoin until recently. Now we're eighty percent ETH and DeFi. The time has come, in my opinion, is what he said. Uh, above that, he said basically, um, you know, the last the previous cycle he's been uh, allocated Bitcoin, uh, but nothing's happening in Bitcoin right now. All of the action, all of the activity. Is happening in the DeFi Ethereum space and Bitcoin maximalists are going to get left behind, and maybe they'll be a bit salty as a result of, of getting left behind. I don't know for sure if he's right, mm-hmm. but I do know um, that I've seen a lot of places where sentiment se- has seemingly shifted. Uh, even you know one of our one of our friends, hopefully he's coming on the podcast, right, Chris? Uh, Chris Berninski tweeted this. He said, if you think DeFi will have a smaller impact on ETH and ICOs, you aren't paying attention. DeFi will flex Ethereum's ability to perform all, in bold, all financial services. This is early stage capital formation is what he said. Uh, Are you starting to see the early signs of a narrative shift, the thawing of the Ethereum winter and people are like coming back to ETH as an asset? Do you think we're getting closer to that?
1: Yeah, 100%. And it's just because it's coming in so many different directions, right? Like you have your money your uh money verbs uh icon and like we we are just knocking Ethereum is just knocking them down one by one. It's like got that one, got that one, got that one. And also, I think the biggest narrative shift is the seemingly one-way movement of Bitcoin onto Ethereum, right? It because it just goes to show that like People that own Bitcoin, Bitcoiners or not, want to do things that do verbs with their money. And you just can't do that on Bitcoin, at least not in a custodial fashion.
0: Okay, so take that though. So some people say Bitcoin on Ethereum is actually, tokenized Bitcoin is actually bullish, bullish Bitcoin because they want to use the better money, which is Bitcoin, even on the Ethereum network. And so Bitcoin, tokenized Bitcoin on Ethereum will uh, cannibalize mm-hmm the
1: moneyness of ETH as an asset. What say you? Well it is bullish Bitcoin, but it's not bullish necessarily Bitcoin versus Ether, right? It's yeah. it's good value for Bitcoin. I'm I'm really happy that Bitcoin can do some of these things that it can do. Like you can generate a loan, a permissionless loan inside of MakerDAO with your Bitcoin. And then Ether is its own thing, right? And so like sure there's going to be some like displacement of sorts in the same way that like Tether is also displacing ETH and and uh, other assets will ultimately displace ETH. But this isn't a zero-sum game, right? Like Ether is going to go up, especially because all economic activity ends up feeding into ETH. But just being proximate to each other is always going to be good. And so like we can talk about how like Bitcoin may be cannibalizing ETH, but it's only going to do it to a small degree. And it's really going to uh, just push the fold as to why Ether and Ethereum are important. Yeah, it's it's hard to replace ETH as trustless
0: economic bandwidth. I know we've both talked about this and written about it. We will include some articles and references to you if you want to understand the concept of trustless economic bandwidth. We'll include that in the show notes. You know, one last thing we should we should maybe touch on before we leave this topic of why ETH uh, might be getting left behind, but why I think both of us are still bullish ETH, uh, and that's this Nexo Finance. So this is a, a crypto bank. Um, just last week, the, the people linked some of their Ethereum transactions uh, to putting in USDT. So they're putting assets in the compound protocol. So this is a crypto bank depositing close to $30 million. There a few transactions here into the uh, DeFi protocol comp. You know what this is? This is the great protocol sync thesis that we've been talking about. <laughs> right i mean it is i mean we we talked about in that episode we did on the protocol sync thesis we, we said look for signs of it this is it this is what it looks like you're seeing a crypto bank actively depositing funds they're like is it customer funds i'm not sure where these funds are Probably. but okay so they're depositing funds into the compound protocol right so they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't deposit funds into a protocol that Coinbase is spinning mm-hmm. up or one of their competitors like crypto.com, but they are inside this credibly neutral lending and borrowing protocol. That's how the DeFi protocols slip underneath the crypto banks. Mm-hmm. And there's the potential here, David, that crypto banks and other capital pools like them might actually be the primary consumer's of DeFi protocols, if we're right, if the protocol uh, plays out the way we think it's going to.
1: And there's two things I wanna bring up with this. One, Nexo Finance, this gives Nexo Finance an edge because it's getting a return that other crypto banks aren't, right? Yes. And so that's good for Nexo. It's also making Compound a better protocol at the same time because the more capital and liquidity inside of Compound, the better, right? So this is mutually beneficial for, for both Nexo and Compound. And it's going to start to force the hands of every other crypto bank because their Nexo has this edge that they also have uh, available to them. So they need to start using it. And so like all these crypto banks are going to start, you know, and we've seen such a strong level of competition with crypto banks. Like you need to iterate and improve faster, really, really fast. Yeah. And so I think this is going to come really, really quickly. And the thing is it all converges upon the same protocols, compound, maker DAO, Aave, like, you know, D-Y-D-X perhaps is even one. Uh, And so, like, all these many, many crypto banks are going to converge upon the same DeFi protocols. And all those same DeFi protocols, their primary collateral is ETH. And my article, um, Ethereum is an Emergent Structure, I had this section where I claimed, like, Ethereum is the epicenter. Ether is the epicenter of Ethereum. It's the capital of the Ethereum state, right? Yeah. And so any application that uses some sort of crypto bank, it lands upon Ether ultimately. Like all roads lead to Ether. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. And it's exciting
0: to watch the Protocol Sync uh, play out a little bit. We'll include some information about the Protocol Sync thesis in the show notes. There's an at least a bankless episode. You got to write an article, David. Like one of us uh, yeah. does. I, I wrote write, this little I, snippet of an article, but we need something meaty because yeah. I think the protocol synth thesis is really what's going to drive the success of DeFi and
1: has already driven the success of Bitcoin and ETH as assets. So mm-hmm. the people need an article, my friend. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I need I need to pound that one out. Now that we have already been talking about it so much, we've already done a podcast episode on it. It should be pretty easy. Yeah, um, it should, so be, should be. I'll bang it out. <laughs> All right.
0: Before we go any further, we want to talk about the sponsors that make this show possible. Uh, the first is Ramp. I'm really excited about Ramp because they are a crypto fiat gateway. So the problem with a lot of uh, DeFi applications is that most users, you know, 99% of new users are not going to have ETH or crypto in their account so they can't even complete uh, an Ethereum transaction. Ramp solves that in like five minutes. They can get crypto to a wallet. So the, the key thing here is if you're a DeFi app developer, you want to check out how to integrate Ramp uh, inside of your DeFi app, and you're just going to like explode growth. That's how we address the total the total addressable market for DeFi Is we make fiat on ramps super easy. We'll include info on Ramp in the show notes.
1: Part of the protocol sync thesis is that All these worldwide companies and businesses are going to ultimately use applications on Ethereum. And one way that this is playing out is through Monolith. Monolith uses the Visa network to generate a a payment network, but instead of using dollars in your bank account, it uses DAI in a smart contract wallet. So using that dense protocol DAI and MakerDAO and a smart contract wallet on Ethereum, you can top up your wallet with DAI and then go to your local coffee shop your local whatever, your local grocery store, swipe your Visa card and make a transaction that settles on Ethereum using DAI. So this is a great tool to live a bankless life, uh, to break up with your bank and still be able to access a normal life that is relatively indistinguishable from people that are perhaps not as far along in the bankless nation as you are.
0: Are you you saying we should break up with our banks but not be weirdos,
1: right? Break up with your banks, but still be a normal <laughs> person. Yeah, uh-huh. don't you don't necessarily have That's to be goal. a complete revolutionary. Yeah, uh, so We're you can pre- check them out at <laughs> monolith.xyz to get your bankless Visa card today. Yeah,
0: definitely. We are very practical on the bankless revolution. I, you know, b- breaking up with your bank is a, is a process. It's it's less like a a clean breakup and more like growing apart is is how I think about it. Um, you start using your bank account less and less, and networks like Ethereum become more and more valuable uh, for you. That's the journey we're on. It's been true in, in I think, uh, our daily living. So we expect it to be true in the in the future. But speaking of bull markets, uh, you said churning, right? Um, PayPal and Venmo, there, an article came out this week that PayPal and Venmo are getting ready to add a buy crypto feature. And I got to think they're certainly going to enable buying Bitcoin, right? Because mm-hmm. Square did that. But Ether can't be far far behind because it is also the only crypto asset that is CFTC deemed. They're an important regulatory body in the U.S. They're, they've deemed them a commodity. No other asset has that distinction. Um, what do you think this is going to do once this is added? Are we going to are we going to see like more people onboarded? Are your neighbors and fr- friends and family and start asking you about like how they buy uh, Ripple? <laughs> i hope not
1: <laughs> god if they if they list ripple i will throw a fit um so god. Th- this is just part of the the normalization of of crypto right uh, bitcoiners would call this hyper bitcoinization and if they if paypal only added bitcoin that would probably fit well in, into that narrative uh however uh the reason why cash app only has bitcoin is because cash is run by jack dorsey and jack dorsey is very idealistic and, and uh, holds Bitcoin uh, in a more supreme position than other assets. PayPal doesn't have such biases or leanings, right? They're, they are primarily focused on generating revenue. And so they're well, probably going to want to, they're going to one-up Square, right? So yeah, to Add more than Bitcoin. Yeah, they're going to have to force Square's hands too. So you're totally right. It's probably going to be Bitcoin and Ether. And then I bet a stable coin, probably USDC, it would be fantastic if they uh, did die, But die doesn't have the same volume as USDC. So I bet those are the three assets that are coming. And like, I bet right at the gate, this doesn't really do much. Um, it, it just, but again, it, it forces the normalization of crypto. And this is part of the settlement, uh, the protocol sync thesis, right? Like all companies like legacy or not will ultimately use crypto because crypto in itself, regardless of the apps on crypto, crypto is a dense protocol. And so they're going to. It's going to find its way into uh, banks like PayPal or banks like you know Wells Fargo or whatever. And so this is that playing out. And PayPal, every every single person, not every single person, but like a lot of people have a PayPal account, especially millennials, right? Especially young people. And it's also in Venmo. Like it's also going to be an app on your phone that you already have KYC'd with. You've already submitted your ID. Be wary of that, by the way. Uh, and it's already going to be a tool that you have to instantly buy crypto and send it into the Ethereum economy. Yeah, I think this is really important. I mean, so um, this is how millennials
0: and and certainly Gen Z pays for things, right? Like, we, you know, we're even like beyond PayPal; it's just Venmo. Uh, you know, if you're buying, selling anything from anybody who's under the age of like thirty-five, it's going to be on on Venmo. And providing a gateway, an in-app gateway to purchase crypto is really important, I think, for this generation to get into it. I, um, I saw this tweet earlier this week about millennials having basically no money, right, uh, in, ter- in terms of wealth as compared to previous generations. So if you compare boomers to millennials, boomers at the age of 29 or 39, and now like you have to remember the oldest millennial now is 39, which is like crazy to me. Wow. But uh, boomers had 21% share of the wealth when -hmm. they were 39, when the first boomer hit 39. Millennials have 3% Mm -hmm. of the total U.S. wealth Mm -hmm. now that they're at the age 39. So this generation, the millennial generation, is not doing better from a wealth perspective than our parents were. And to me, I think we make the mistake a little bit as uh, like millennials – in looking for the nation state to solve all of these things Mm -hmm. because the nation state is not necessarily equipped to solve these things. The nation state is in a process of being squeezed. That's what the last 30 years, at least in the U S have been, it's been a squeezing process. And right now with all the money printing, you're seeing it's a squeezing process of the U S dollar as reserve currency status, something that the U S essentially has, uh, worked for over generations. Um, It's being squeezed out right now. I think the big opportunities for millennials are actually going to be in these digital nation states, as we call Mm -hmm. them, like Ethereum and Bitcoin. So having a gateway to those digital nations in apps that are easy to use and that we already use is pretty important, at least to me. And I, I do think these younger
1: generations will be all about that. And I hope they are. And we've already seen the demand for this sort of activity from millennials, right, from the Robin Hood rally, right? people are taking their $1200 like covid check their trump bucks throwing it <laughs> right into robinhood and buying hurts as it goes bankrupt because they they know that these this sort of like gdp growth that came from to the boomers is not coming to them right yep. i think i uh, in a similar stat like gdp growth uh, during the boomers when they were from like 20 to 35 was like 34% and millennials, it's been 11%. And so we have seen one third of the growth in GDP in our best years, in our best professional years uh, than, than boomers have, right? And so what what's that's doing is like millennials are like, like, well, f- you know, fuck it. Like if I, I'm, not gonna get a, I'm not gonna get a high paying job and so because robots are gonna automate my job away. So I'm throwing all my money into Robinhood because this is a, like this gambling app. So I, at least I have some chance of like generating some sort of wealth for myself. And like, and so that's And that's because there's risk there and there's also risk in DeFi. There's also risk in crypto. There's also risk in Ethereum. And so I think this is just, and, but this is like real risk, not just fake Hertz is going to the moon because they're going bankrupt risk. Like this is real, like value, like, there's no risks.
0: there's no fed backing up crypto, right? There's no, there's no, no bailouts coming yeah. for us. Uh-huh. Right. Nope. Wildest. So best. like
1: millennials have this risk appetite, right? Because they need they are looking for greener pastures and in my mind there is no greener pasture than than crypto, especially DeFi, especially decentralized finance.
0: Well, cuz Ethereum you said it before, Ethereum is an entire economy, right? It really is. It's like going out west and settling, right? And people on the east coast who were comfortable in their positions and secure and fine with the status quo those weren't the ones traveling west in search of golden opportunity um it was it was the people who are looking for another chance looking for an opportunity outside of the existing constructs of the system Uh, and that's really where i do think the opportunity is there it's not gdp growth in the us it's gdp growth in the ethereum economy right
1: uh, also to add on to that to that metaphor like people went west to escape the tyranny of the state like they yeah, wanted to be free that was also a real thing yeah. And so that is a direct one-to-one comparison yeah that's why I, I love that analogy um, David
0: before we go any further we should talk again about uh, our sponsors so I'm I'm super excited about uh, Multis. so they've decided to sponsor bankless on the show and they are really providing a bankless business account so Uh, They've released a new edition of their application. This is like a bank user interface, but underneath it's all Ethereum and DeFi protocols. Um, And we're going to be releasing a video on the channel about that too. Um, And uh, I I plan to convert some of my business activity to Maltus and, and give it a try. And you should too. It is like a bankless bank account where you can operate your entire business on DeFi, on Ethereum. Super powerful stuff. We'll include more info in the show notes for you to check out.
1: Another great application on Ethereum, which we talk a lot about, is Aave. Aave is a borrowing and lending application. You can supply assets, you can borrow assets, you can get an interest rate or you can pay an interest rate. But what's different about Aave is that Aave will give you stable interest rate payments. A really important tool to build out this DeFi economy, this economy on Ethereum. If you are pulling out a loan, you need to have some assurances that the interest rate on that loan isn't going to jump up to like 20% or something crazy, which we have seen before in DeFi. So you can get that sort of stability and long-term thinking using Aave. They also have A tokens, which are representations of the assets deposited in their protocol, which has the interest baked into the tokens. So you can use those to transact while also uh, receiving interest rates, in- interest payments at the same time. Check them out. They're a fantastic protocol. Check them out at Ave.com. David, one more thing we should, we should talk about. And we, we, we're trying to keep the show a little bit.
0: Uh, we, we tend to go on for a while, so we've got one oh, more it, topic. We're excited. We're excited about this stuff, guys. So you got to forgive us. We're going to try to keep this to 30-ish minutes, but I think we might be close to that now. <laughs> anyway, um, let's talk about gas. Mm-hmm. All right, so gas prices are too damn high. You you agree or disagree? Like, here's the gas price right now. I'm sharing it. This is ETH gas station, a fantastic site. So again, uh, ETH, uh, gas is required for every... Ethereum transaction and mm-hmm. gas prices go up and down. Right now, they're fairly expensive. I remember time not long ago when it cost two guay to send a mm-hmm. transaction. Yeah. Now it's 46. It's been like 46 to
1: 70 for a while. Is this a good thing or a bad thing for Ethereum? So I, I think actually the, the, very, the very correct answer is it is a thing. Uh, and so it is both good and You're bad. You're dodging a question. <laughs> it is both good and bad and to what degree it is good also generates some equal and opposite amount of badness. And so here's what I mean okay. by this. The high gas prices on Ethereum represent or correlated to the potential returns that you can get on Ethereum, right? If there are high returns on Ethereum, there's going to be high economic activity and there's going to be high demand for block space also fees are good for the long-term health of the network in this new digital nation world feeds represent taxes and they are and the taxes are the thing that fund the economy right they they prevent they secure the ethereum economy so when we see high gas fees we can we can safely rest assured that like ethereum the ethereum economy is going to exist a long a long time into the future because that's where revenue for security comes from at the same time it's bad right because uh, you know, high fees, price people out. And this is the main concern that like the Ethereum side of things has versus the Bitcoin side of things, right? If we have an inflexible block space and, and extremely flexible block space demand, what you get is really high fees and it ultimately forces the small guy out and only allows the large capital holders in who can afford those fees. So that's bad. We don't want that. And that's why Ethereum has always committed to scale. Uh, and so like it, there's there's it's pros and cons there's pros and cons it's good and bad as you
0: say it does seem to be the case look there's always going to be limits to the amount of block space available it's a scarce commodity right and it does we talked about this with Nick Carter it does seem like high density economic transactions by that i mean like the big ones the high value ones are going to be the ones that are prioritized because those transactions are the only ones that will essentially be able to afford these kinds of fees. And the lower value transactions will move to layer twos, to side chains, maybe even to crypto banks. So even though Ethereum is scaling, there's still a limit to the amount of transaction space in the Ethereum network.
1: And there always will be, right? Absolutely, yeah. But I would say like if you force me into a corner and made me answer this question, I would say it's a good thing because the alternative is okay. having like one get grey fees or two grey fees. And that makes us look like a ghost chain. And so like at the end of the day, we do have to do this deal with the devil and ask for high fees because that means our chain is useful. That means our chain is in demand. And I would There's prefer lo- that to, to low fees.
0: There's a lot of ghost chains out there.
1: A lot of ghost cities. In fact, almost all of them are.
0: Go look at the transaction fees. We'll, we'll put this in the show notes. Go look at the transaction fees of Dash or Ethereum Classic or Bitcoin Cash or... XRP. It's nothing <laughs> like, like if you're looking at this chart, this is okay. So this chart is Bitcoin in red and ether in purple, right? These are the, the, uh, daily mm-hmm. transaction fee revenue. Okay. So l- let me just click in XRP. Let's see XRP way down here.
1: And this is a log scale graph, right? So 95, uh, yeah. 95 bucks a day, baby. 95 is, smackers for the whole yeah. XRP network that's how
0: much they're making in transaction fees. I don't even know who's paying that, but it seems overpriced. But <laughs> um, ether now is 5, 540 K per day. And over the past two weeks, 14 mm-hmm. days, it's actually been higher than Bitcoin. So Bitcoin right now is yeah, 332, okay. This is the, the highest
1: day. it's ever been over Bitcoin for this long amount of time. The oh, last exactly.
0: time it was, was in 2018, the last 14 day window. But if it goes another week, it probably will be the longest time transaction fees on Ether. Like, so what that means is, block space on Ethereum is more valuable currently than block space on Bitcoin. Right. Like, that's what that means. It doesn't right. mean the asset is more valuable, right? Bitcoin mm-hmm. is Bitcoin. The asset is worth more than Ether. The asset, but it does mean the Ethereum block space is worth more. Right. Which is let's do some let's do
1: some ETH killers. Will you click in ADA and uh, BNB? Are, are you just trying to embarrass these guys, dude? A little bit. Like, like they're never gonna sponsor us now. Oh no. Oh wow. <laughs> oh look, eight, uh Cardano is uh, beating Litecoin. Hey, Cardano <laughs> flip into Litecoin. All right. And let's do BNB right below ADA. Wait, what is B oh Binance? Binance chain. Well this is uh this is uh you know the whole Binance casino. It's got that going for it. Oh they have they have over a thousand. Yeah. Binance has over a thousand dollars in daily transaction fees. Right on, on and- the board. <laughs> On the board. Yeah. <laughs> the I mean, board. we could,
0: like, Litecoin. Oh, don't
1: do it like mom, coin oh,
0: Litecoin. Litecoin. Yeah. Fatality. It's, I mean, no one, no one cares about, no block like, about no this. one's willing to pay for block. And look, there was a time, look at this. There was a time when no one cared about Ethereum either. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's be honest. Look, uh, back 2016, no one cared. No one cared. Mm-hmm. And then they started to care because DeFi got its first use case, January mm-hmm. 2017. And then they really started to care. Right? And now... Mm-hmm. Ethereum block space has been consistently valuable up until right. about that time, and it's mm-hmm. it's seeing a resurgence in its value. So it's Absolutely. interesting to watch. We don't have time to talk about all of the implications. There's a whole discussion we could have, David, about like um, fixed issuance in your monetary policy mm-hmm. and how that is supplemented by transaction fees, and how Bitcoin is essentially moving to a network that is all transaction fee. Uh, you know, re- revenue driven from a security perspective, but we won't today because I think we're getting up to time. Yeah, um,
1: I-, I would like to plug uh, Anthony Cezano's recent newsletter, The Daily Quay, where he broke down what the miners are doing about these high fees. They're increasing the block size limit, and so if you guys want, we're, we we can't go go into it because it'll it's a really a uh, nuanced conversation with lots of things to talk about and Anthony does a great job of breaking it down there So I would definitely recommend that a read if you are interested in this subject. Oh, Anthony, I subscribe.
0: It's good. Subscribe. He, he does it every day um, mm. Yeah, so so check this out daily great. We'll put that as an action item Other action items actually so as long as you're looking at things subscribing to things we released the bankless guide uh, on Saturday the bankless guide is basically the best of the best that we have published so far in bank lists on the newsletter. And it's, you know, created in a, in a format to help go through the goals, the resources you need for the journey, how to understand core concepts and the key skills. And then lastly, where to get help. So you got to check this out. Um, people have really loved it and that would be another action item. David, do you have any other action items in this, uh, in this churning state as, churning as, you, state. as you called it? Yeah. What else should we uh, do? Uh, I would
1: definitely say the the easiest ones are subscribe to the YouTube. Give us those likes. We are trying to get this bankless gospel onto the front page of the crypto YouTube. So that is really important. Also, if you have not subscribed to the podcast as well, where Ryan and I uh, just peel back the layers of the most complicated topics, as well as bring on some of the the smartest guests in this crypto world. We have a fantastic lineup coming over the next month. So stay tuned for all of that. Bankless hitting some all-time highs too, right? oh yeah uh, and we hit our 1000th
0: youtube subscriber we just uh got a notification of that and uh, po- right podcast now? is fantastic yeah this morning yeah podca- podcast is going up too so uh thanks for all the support guys we really yeah. appreciate it that's what
1: we makes do. state of the nation do. possible it's so what makes uh, me think that we're on the cusp of a bull run because everyone <laughs> wants to hear about all, all the great craziness that's going on in ethereum and DeFi. absolutely guys that's it so we, we're coming at you every tuesday state of the nation
0: on youtube um give us feedback tell us what you like about the show tell us what you don't like we're also pushing this out on the podcast on wednesday so if you prefer not to see our faces when we're talking you can take a listen on wednesdays that's it from us the state of the nation is churning thanks guys.